0: to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations.
1: Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This uh, particular conversation, we're going to focus on the uh, elements of and the distinction between a pilgrimage and a retreat so that we understand um, the different motivations for each of those two endeavors and also uh, what makes for a successful pilgrimage or a successful retreat uh, but let me begin, as I do each week, by um, saying hello to uh, my co-host, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be talking about this theme tonight, because today begins the World Youth Day celebration, um, which is a pilgrimage. And so how appropriate that we're going to talk about this topic. And I, I found this quote of St. Augustine that I thought really um, kind of starts off the whole idea well. It says, the world is a book. Those who do not travel read only one page. <laughs> Always
1: so. insightful. We can count on Saint Augustine for yes,
0: that. Yes, and this could be travel outwardly, or I'm also thinking traveling inwardly.
1: And I know you're gonna you're gonna share some thoughts on that, uh, Francis, as it relates to pilgrimages. Um, this is the time of year f- for most people, anyway, as they begin uh, planning uh, towards the end of the summer now. Uh, But it's a time that uh, many people will try to take either a pilgrimage or uh, a good time for a retreat. Um, And again, I don't want to get into the the details of the program at this point, but uh, let us begin as we do each week by having you lead us in prayer and tell us where this prayer is from.
0: Well, this is a particular prayer I chose because it is the beginning of World Youth Day. So it is the official prayer from the World World Youth Day for this year. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Father, you sent your eternal Son to save the world, and you chose men and women so that through him, with him, and in him, they might proclaim the good news of the gospel to all nations. Grant us the necessary graces so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the joy of being the evangelist that the church needs in the third millennium May shine in the faces of all young people. O Christ, Redeemer of humanity, the image of your open arms on the top of Corcovado, Corcovado welcomes all people. In your Paschal offering, you led us by the Holy Spirit to encounter the Father as his children. Young people who are nourished by Eucharist, who hear you in your word and meet you as their brother, need your infinite mercy to walk along the paths of this world as disciples and missionaries of the new evangeliz- evangelization. A Holy Spirit, love of the Father and of the Son, With the splendor of your truth and the fire of your love, shed your light upon all young people so that, inspired by their experience at World Youth Day, they may bring faith, hope, and charity to the four corners of the earth, becoming great builders of a culture of life and peace and catalyst of a new world. In Jesus' name we pray. In the
1: name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, I'm going to start off by asking you a question this week. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's important for us to understand the distinction. Oftentimes, pilgrimages have very interesting destinations, and there may be a lot of sightseeing and and uh, traveling about that we would like to do an association with it. But there is a, I think, a fair distinction between someone who is a pilgrim and someone who may just be a tourist. Yes. How would you distinguish between those two?
0: Well, I think that a, um, a tourist wants to go see something new. You know, they're interested in the historical, cultural value of things. But a pilgrim, um, is a person who's finding meaning. In the place, the journey, the destination, and they're looking for an experience of God. So it is a seeking out of God in their life through this journey this pilgrimage whereas the tourist is just kind of like um you know let's go and see the sites and oh that was nice or that was a long walk (laughs) or whatever so uh it's really the intentionality i can't speak tonight
1: (laughs) no no, i think i think that's absolutely right you use another phrase though uh just before we got on air which i thought was really good you characterize it as a
0: (laughs) oh yes it's a sacred journey and that that sacred journey could be um within and without. Um, I I think a double portion is really good here, both.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's very important to distinguish because not to say that a pilgrimage in and of itself couldn't be enjoyable. For example, if you were to take a pilgrimage to Rome, as many saints have done throughout the centuries, um, Rome as a destination is certainly a a wonderful place, an exciting place, a place you can have uh, a great deal of fun But at the same time, if it is a pilgrimage and if it is uh, a sacred journey that you're, uh, you know, embarking on, it does have a different mindset. It does have a different focus. I mean, we're not um, simply playing the tourist, but we have, as you said, we're on a journey seeking God. Right. Um, Now, you've used this phrase a couple of times, so... Help me and our listening audience understand when you use the term whether it's an external pilgrimage or that internal pilgrimage, i.e. journey. Uh, say a little bit about that, certainly in the context of Carmelite spirituality.
0: Well, the external is more easily understood because that is, you know, you packing your suitcase, you know, getting the call. And, and in fact, as a pilgrimage, you, 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 as a pilgrim, you're thinking of a call, an invitation to journey. And and then you answer the call. It's, it's like a desire welling up within your heart. I want to go on this. You know, oh, I can't afford it, but oh, I want to go. And then the Lord provides. And you're like, well, I guess I'm meant to go, you know. And, and so you, you work through it, you're packing and you're preparing mentally and what's this gonna mean and, and you kind of learn about the place you're gonna go to so that when you get there, its significance can, can grow and in the depths of your heart and you can nourish it and, and grow from it. Um, and then this, this journey within can happen in the midst of this external journey, because when you're in these holy places, you're, you're having experiences that are, are not normal for you. I mean, it's not normal to be at these uh, famous shrines or, or have these special relics or be in the place where Jesus was born or, or so many um, wonderful places of pilgrimage. So these so are out of the norm.
1: There is a, a desire for transformation, Oh, on our spiritual journey, obviously, we're looking to be transformed all of us into the image of Christ. That means adopting virtues. And coming to a deeper intellectual understanding is certainly an admirable reason for a pilgrimage. Again, we don't want to diminish uh, the fact that you will uh, perhaps um, you know take something away, be be nourished on an intellectual level. But you said something very important. Uh, at the beginning. And I've been on arguably half a dozen pilgrimages in my life. And I have to say, not one of them, when I began investigating it, looked like something that was actually going to happen. Ah, So you said, what would we do before we would really want to enter or decide to enter and embark on a a pilgrimage? Pray about it. You want to know,
0: right? Yeah, you want to know about it and pray about it and say, is this what you want from me, Lord? You know, and if the desire grows, you know that's a that's a sign that yes, there's something here for you.
1: We have to be careful too. I mean, I I, um, I won't say that I know. I I guess I know of uh, people who are very quick. Uh, to run off to religious sites. You know, maybe they're people of means and they have uh, the opportunity uh, at a certain stage of life to be able to travel more uh, frequently and easily. And, and there is a predisposition toward the external journey, Francis, that you mentioned, without perhaps a, a significant uh, or sufficient sensitivity to the need for the internal journal, uh, journey. And that, it, I think, um, is the reason for preparation, for prayer. Uh, as you know, I'm contemplating a, a pilgrimage of in my In October,
0: yes. Yeah, so I <laughs> wish I could go in your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> to,
1: to Spain, actually, to visit the sites of uh, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. We hope to do the program from there, in fact.
0: Yes, well, that'll um, be
1: exciting. But I spoke to a spiritual director, a Carmelite priest, and said, you know, and I'm months in advance now at the time that I engaged him in the conversation, and I said, how do I prepare? What should I be asking God? What should I be reading? What should I be doing to prepare myself? Fully acknowledging that the whole thing may fall apart. In fairness, this is one of those examples where I did not anticipate being able to go on this. You know, the number of attendees, uh, the list closed and then it reopened, but I was away and I didn't know about that. And then it reopened again. And, you know, it was like this the first time my wife and I went uh, to to a pilgrimage uh, or on a pilgrimage together. And the, the details seemed insurmountable at the time. We thought we were called to go on it, and then all these obstacles showed up, and we said, you know what, I guess we're not supposed to go. Let's just put that on the shelf, leave it up to the Lord. And we prayed about it, and eventually all the obstacles just seemed to melt away.
0: And that's so much an element of pilgrimages, that there is some kind of obstacles or hardships where we have to practice faith and we pray. And, you know, so that's very important. And also, a lot of people have the attitude of approaching a pilgrimage as an act of devotion mm. um, in honor of the Blessed Mother or in tribute to a saint um, or an act of penance um, or an act of, you know, seeking forgiveness or an act of thanksgiving for a grace received or their search of healing like in Lourdes. Just look at all the people who go there to Uh, be healed and so you know we know that god can be worshiped from anywhere and you don't have to go somewhere special you can you can experience god within your own heart in your own home but it's also true that god does manifest his presence in special ways in certain places and i mean i know i've had this experience and i suspect you have too that you've gone to certain places and you just really feel a sense of god's peace or a sense of grace there's something there that is a little different and and yet it's somewhat tangible mm. outwardly even and um so god does this because he knows we need these outward signs
1: so would you advocate francis i know you've been on a number of pilgrimages yourself and you've prepared for those would you advocate that people might discern uh, sort of the objective behind you, you ran through a fairly a detailed list there of motivations for a pilgrimage um I, i'm gathering that you might advocate uh, to our listeners before you plan this pilgrimage, or even if you've already planned one, you know, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and your mind, understand why you're going on It no pilgrimage is undertaken without some effort. And you mentioned already uh, the inevitability of obstacles. Uh, so those will uh, surface, but as long as I'm going to go through the trial of overcoming all that, shouldn't I have some motivation behind it uh, something that I want to do, quite frankly, the bottom line motivation being to please God and, right? and to
0: grow in relationship with him, which is so to you know, relationship with God. That's big. And so, you know, you, you, sometimes you can think, well, if I go and do this, will I feel closer to God? And if the answer is yes, well then, okay, that's, that's a good indicator for you. But, you know, there's, there's this joyful anticipation as you, um, prepare for the pilgrimage. And, you know, you want to be praying in preparation and, and to be open. But, you know, these are also a time to witness to these signpost of god's grace that he's given us and you know we want to pray to be open and flexible and and really to to come home transformed and renewed and restored you know vacations do that in a more secular sense you're tr- you're, you're sense, rested yeah, yeah. you know you're rested you're refreshed some people come home from vacation tired <laughs> hmm. but hopefully when we come back from a pilgrimage we are rejuvenated spiritually and we're feeling blessed. And, and, you know, even sometimes there's some big struggles, but those struggles, even when we deal with them after we come home, are sources of blessings.
1: Yeah, I think, in fact, one of the earliest indications as to how well you might have prepared for the pilgrimage <laughs> is how well you accept. What we always know will be the obstacles, right? So you miss an airplane if there's flight involved or...
0: You get uh, blisters on your feet from yeah, the long walk. or
1: from the long walk, you, you, you know, you grow tired. If something happens with an automobile, the, the lodging isn't what you expected. The meals aren't particular. Whatever, there are going to be a lot of... The weather's hot, the weather's cold. Or
0: like in in Rio right now, you know, all those Americans over there who's trying to texting, oh, those cell phone charges are going to be horrendous. So yeah. hopefully they're not doing that or have, or have worked something out out with their cell phone companies. But you know, these hardships, they help us um, They help us grow in detachment and mortification, which I know <laughs> you've mentioned many times before.
1: Well, and I think there has to be an element of that. I think that's part of the preparation that you mentioned. And now we're going to say more about that when we discuss retreat in the second half of the program. But uh, pilgrimages do have an element of mortification. There is uh, sort of uh, a withdrawal, if you will, that you are leaving yourself now really in the, in its original context this this idea of pilgrimage uh, people uh, saints, many of them and and others perhaps less well known, uh, might strike out expecting to cross many. Uh, you know, um, uh, countries and vast swaths of land and um, unknown territory and facing uh, the risks associated with that, animals and and uh, bandits and bad weather and all sorts of things. These uh, stories uh, the, the, about the saints, of course, are riddled with these sorts of trials. We don't, you know, in this modern era, we, we tend to prepare for our pilgrimages perhaps a little better than that. Yeah. Uh, we have flight schedules and we have, uh, albeit they may go around but we have things mapped out and we know where we're headed and you know things are sort of organized it's it's become a science right organizing pilgrimages Um, in the original context of course um, there was a great deal more dependency on god for the safe passage if you will in the midst of that um, uh, journey and the um, uh, you know sort of a detachment and the acceptance of the difficulties came along with the idea that you were going to go on a pilgrimage. Right. But but I think your point about um, if you said it this way, this is the way I, I, I took it. The journey itself is as much the pilgrimage, it's yes. not the destination. Right. And that right. may be one of the ways that we prepare ourselves and not thinking, well, Lord's is my destination and I just want to get there. Well, part of getting there may be the journey itself and all that comes along with that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And of course, when we do get to that destination, you know, we're going to be inspired, hopefully, by what we see or what we experience. And and many times what we experience are, you know, special masses, special rituals or special processions, or maybe there's a first-class relic. Um, You know, it could be the the crown of, you know, thorns from the crown of thorns from Jesus, if you were there um, to see that. Uh, There's just so much... Uh, so many varieties of of pilgrimage and destination but but you know you're you're going to try to be looking deeply into the meaning of things and so you're you're paying attention to the path under your feet as you travel as you walk and and of course Often this pilgrimage is not alone. It can be alone, but many times it's it's with a group. So it's an encounter with God and an encounter with others. And um, so, you know, it, it could be a celebration of the gift of life. It could be an anniversary thing. It could be a graduation thing. But it, it's, it could be a rite of passage. But, you know, it, it's a seeking of God. And you have these awe moments. And I, and I think of that poem that St. John the Cross wrote. Uh, the dark night of the soul and in that one line he repeats ah the sheer grace Mm. and you know when you're on pilgrimage you're hoping that you have those moments of the ah the sheer grace and even if you don't experience it in that moment, when you come back, sometimes you do. And and even if it doesn't seem really palpable, you know you have been changed because you have put forth the effort and, and you've been open. And, you know, God is working with you in what in the way that it is best leading you closer to him.
1: You know, it's interesting you mentioned, certainly you could go on pilgrimage alone. Many people do. Um, I think of that more in the context of retreat, yes, to be I honest do too. with you. Uh, but if you do go on a pilgrimage, and let's say, as more often than not is the case, you are with people you don't know.
0: Yeah, that way of St. James in yeah. Spain, yeah. Um, that is usually a, an individual thing, and you yeah. meet all the peoples on the that, journey. That,
1: that's an example, you're right, where where you do. But again, you mentioned that you may encounter other people, and that is part of the journey itself, isn't it? I mean, you're going to meet people you don't know. You go through that inevitable process right of of sort of coming to terms with somebody you don't know you wonder who they are what's their background what's their perspective why are they on this pilgrimage where are they perhaps on their journey with the lord and you know are they in a different place everybody's in a slightly different place but um, do they view things differently than you and inevitably you get some degree of, um, well, I won't say inevitably, occasionally you may get some degree of friction uh, that needs to be reconciled and resolved. I'm not talking about uh, disagreements. I'm just talking about people having to live in sometimes austere conditions. Or on buses uh, that are crowded. With, yeah. With <laughs> other people they don't know who live by sort of different rules and, and expectations. Uh, that's also part of the journey. You know, I want to go back because some people may be saying you know okay i I understand some of this in the context of pilgrimage, but why the focus on it? I think what we want to make sure to reemphasize, Francis is your original point about a sacred journey, yes right, yes. not a tourist uh, destination, not a vacation, not a um, you know i 'm going someplace to buy relics or or souvenirs, uh, but really, we need to enter into it, and as I said at the beginning, many, many people do now. Um, If we're going to plan out and participate in a pilgrimage, we have to do, as Francis said, begin with prayer. Know what the Lord may want me to do. Know what he may want to um, uh, grace me with in, in the midst of this. And then I started to say a moment ago, the best way we'll know how well we've prepared is when those inevitable, unfortunate circumstances begin to occur and how we react to them and respond to them will give us some insight
0: oh yeah when you're on a crowded bus and somebody's being a little annoying to you are you going to offer that up a prayer like saint therese did with those rattling beads (laughs) from the story of the soul so you know it's a given opportunity to practice charity to practice love and to offer those things but you know this is a time of exploration both outwardly and inwardly and you know Prayer is very much a big part of a pilgrimage. Um, of course, that goes with retreat too, but, uh, you know, the prayer, uh, Seems to have different stages in a pilgrimage. I think. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: I guess I haven't thought about that a whole lot until just now. That thought's coming to me, but uh, I think that it does change as, as you go through your traveling. And then, of course, when you come home, you know, you, you, a lot of people have the pictures that bring meaning, and they have journaling that they've done, or or some of them are bringing the souvenirs. But but there's a sense of spiritual renewal, and there's a return home, reinit and wanting to share this with others. And that's what we hope our our young people at this World Youth Day will do, that they'll come back and share the fruits of this pilgrimage with all the people around them.
1: You know, we opened the uh, program today with prayer for um, the um, World Youth Day, but I think we'd also like to encourage, Francis, our listeners, to participate with us, as I know you are doing, in praying for our youth. I was listening, actually, Uh, to a radio program as I was coming into the studio today. Um, And the uh, commentator was talking about how the Pope faces really a very great challenge when you think about trying to uh, gain the hearts and minds of the youth in the modern era and so many distractions and so many, uh, you know, sort of bad paths that they can be drawn down. Um, And what does the church have to offer? I think this Pope is the ideal a person to be in uh, this role uh, in this time and of course being from Latin America himself uh, large numbers no doubt from Latin America will be represented at World Youth Day but um, I think he's the ideal candidate to uh, fulfill that role but we need to pray for him and we need to pray for the the youth the youth are our future right it's an old saying but it's yeah. so true and and this pilgrimage for them um, is going to either be successful or uh, you know, perhaps not so successful. Uh, it will depend largely on the prayers of the faithful to ensure that, in fact, they hear the gospel and they they respond to it. So I encourage all of our listeners to participate with us in that effort.
0: Well, we only have about another minute before we break um, for our station identification. So I'd kind of like to just say uh, some of the common reasons why people book of pilgrimage okay um increase your faith hope and love uh practice prayer practice fasting that's a big part of some of the pilgrimages uh learning to let go and give our problems over to god pray for healing uh being open to what the holy spirit is saying into your life right now in thankfulness or joy and rejoicing uh to pray for others as an intercessor um to pray uh for others as in redemptive suffering uh to visit these holy places, to thank God for these holy people and these holy opportunities to experience, uh, the cultures that they lived in and how they reflected and radiated God to escort loved ones, um, and for unity. Um, so, and to, to change, change within ourselves to become better. Uh, so we got to focus on our intention on our desire and, you know, make resolutions from, the result of the graces from the pilgrimage, uh, it's so fruitful, so so beneficial.
1: Pray, hear that call, and as Francis said, the intention of the pilgrimage is all important. Come to understand that, as I know, many are planning their pilgrimages for uh, the summer or perhaps later in the year, and we want to encourage you to take advantage of some of this uh, insight that we provided on uh, good preparation for a pilgrimage we'll be back we're going to talk about retreats in the second uh, portion of our program a reminder you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria a Christian voice in your home
0: Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.
1: Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. Uh, I do want to encourage, as we do each week... Uh, our listeners to participate in the conversation with us. We're going to cover uh, a couple different things in this uh, second part of the program, one of those being the elements of a good Carmelite retreat. And in fairness, I think, Francis, as you and I agreed, in preparing for this, this might be the elements of any good Christian retreat. Yes. Uh, but there are some unique Carmelite aspects to it. We also want to talk about a couple destinations that our listeners might consider for Carmelite specific retreats. Uh, these would be Carmelite shrines or uh, uh, cathedrals or destinations.
0: So, you know, Mark, when we go on retreat, I I go back to the scripture that when Jesus was inviting his disciples, and this comes from Mark 631, come away to a lonely place all by yourselves and rest a while.
1: Yeah. Resting in the Lord, of course. And, you know, we need to think about retreats, I think, from a a couple different perspectives. We have great models uh, of retreats in the Carmelite uh, tradition, beginning with Elijah. Yes. Elijah, who was called out into the desert uh, to commune with the Lord. We're going to talk about Elijah. I I use that as a a sort of uh, precursor and a little bit of... uh, tempter perhaps for the end of the uh, conversation today Uh, but elijah is our forerunner in terms of this model of withdrawing from the world to listen to the lord we're going to see a model of uh, how elijah demonstrates um, the idea of prayer and entering into a deeper contemplative experience of the lord which is really what the retreat is all about
0: yeah it's that journey within to to not be alone with yourself but to be alone with him alone with the alone god
1: if we think about the word retreat and this idea of being with god francis that you just mentioned uh, certainly we should think in the context of a drawing back a withdraw, a moving away from and we often use the analogy of the desert but i want to ask this question uh, which I will then answer, and you can share with us your perspective as well. What do we mean by the desert? Um, I think it's important to understand not too many of us today uh, will likely experience our retreat in the desert. Now, we may go to the southwest of the United States. We may go to other dester, uh, desert destinations in other countries, but... Um, we use this idea of a desert. In fact, even in the Carmelite community in the United States here, um, the house that we have in western Virginia is called the desert house, right? Yes. Uh, and our, our friars in, in Carmel uh, refer to it in just that way.
0: Yeah, don't they go there for like a year to just...
1: Oftentimes, yeah, there, there's a, a sort of a distinct period of time, and it is defined as their desert experience. But what else do we mean by the desert?
0: Well, I, I think we got to leave behind the world that we've been living in you know it, it, we got to get out of the muck <laughs> out of the daily uh grind and we we want to live in in the moment so you're not thinking about what you got to do today what you got to do tomorrow what you did yesterday but y- you live in the present i think in a, in a more um emphasis and more emphasized with more
1: intentionality the term you use that in our first uh, half of the program and i like that with intentionality what do we mean by intentionality you know so often francis i think uh, we, we can fall victim we caramelize because we have requirements for daily prayer for some devotion to the blessed mother for mass when it's possible but we we can't lose the A sort of intentionality of why we do these things right it's not the pattern of uh, getting so many rosaries in or getting to so many masses in 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 a number of days it's the intentionality that we enter into them with there are other aspects of the desert though that help us to sort of focus on that intentionality Uh, inevitably there's the dryness the barrenness the open spaces which can be viewed in a negative way uh, but our lord also offers this very positive context um, from david psalm 18 it says he brought me out into a spacious place he yes. rescued me because he delighted in me so the barrenness the openness the vastness of the desert is another um, uh, perhaps more positive i guess uh, perspective about this idea of retreat. We're entering into an open space, not a confined space, and we're leaving behind, as you said, Francis, so much of that worldliness, which we might define as worldly comfort. But in fairness, we might also acknowledge that those worldly comforts can sort of drag us down because we become dependent on them.
0: Well, yeah, and when I I think of this openness, this spacious place, I think of St. Teresa of Avila and the way she talked about the soul in the interior castle. She talks about the soul as being a very open place, not confined. And, you know, when you think of that openness, you're also thinking about the infinity of God. It goes on and on and on.
1: You know there's also these other aspects which are so um uh I think uh, consistent with the Carmelite spirituality, the idea of silence in the desert, right? The vastness yes. contributes to the silence, the solitude. That, mm-hmm. That's certainly the case and simplicity. Well, what do you mean by simplicity? You know, if you're out in the middle of the desert, you very quickly get to the essentials.
2: Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes.
1: There are certain things that are necessary to sustain life. And, and we need to think about this again. I want to go back to what Francis had said at the beginning, um, this sacred journey. When we prepare for a retreat, a retreat should be based on intentionality, but it also should be well planned in the context of I've got to really remove myself. I need to enter enter the desert. Again Francis said there's that external journey the worldly aspect of our retreat where we go when we go what we're uh, you know what our accommodations are and so forth these are practical aspects of it but there's this internal idea we have to enter the internal desert and then we'll look for the cave that elijah found here in just a few moments uh, because that's where we're going to enter into prayer now i want to draw a Um, A sort of a correlation between the desert experience of the Israelites leaving Mm -hmm. Egypt, which is the framework for entering the desert, retreating, drawing closer to the Lord. Um, And then we'll do the same thing with the um, experience of Jesus Christ. When he went into the desert, Uh, following his baptism with John the Baptist. As we know, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, there was a great deal of enthusiasm about what they were going to do, as so often there is when we retreat. right? Um, And there was a passing through, right? There's a phase, there's a transition. In their case, the crossing of the Red Sea Uh, which prefigures for us baptism, consistent with Christ's own baptism. Now, each of us, of course, um, uh, believers, have uh, most likely gone through a baptism. We most likely did it if we're Catholic as a child. that's okay, by the way. There's this uh, you know sort of ongoing debate about why do we baptize young children. Well, we know that baptism is grace. It is God's gift. And the recipient doesn't necessarily have to choose and be aware of it. It is a grace and, and a gift of God. Um, but then, once we've entered the desert through that water,
0: <laughs> we rebel. <laughs> uh,
1: our work begins, right? So
0: I think sometimes we, you know, like they did. You know, all of a sudden they're complaining. Well, we're tired of this manna. We want meat. You know, and you know it goes on and on. And no wonder Moses was so upset with them. But uh, we we tend to not appreciate what we have, and and all of a sudden when we're in that desert, we're hearing all these other loud voices. And then we have to we have to come to terms with the war going on within us.
1: Yeah, and those external realities are the ones that generate this internal war, aren't yes. they? So I said a moment ago, you know, the Israelites are very enthusiastic to get out of Egypt at first, right? And I think we're that way at the beginning of a retreat. Oh, we're going to the desert or we're going off to the mountains or we're going to a lodge or what have you. And we're, you know, we think it's great and it'll be time away. We envision that it'll be relaxing and so forth. And then within maybe a day or two days in the retreat, this isn't always the case, but, but sometimes we begin to experience boredom or we begin to experience... Um, you know sort of a lethargy about the uh, time away and the quiet and all of that noise has now been removed from our day to day experience and sometimes we're not really comfortable with the silence
0: yeah exactly all of a sudden they realize how much they have been dependent on the outside stimuli and we're not listening to the inside and then when they do listen to the inside they don't like what they're hearing
1: yeah and as you said we may be yearning again for the flesh pots of Egypt right we may want to be back and experiencing those consolations and comforts in the normal, you know, our bed, our uh, bathroom, our uh, uh, food, our whatever that we've become dependent on. And this is where the devil begins his work, right? Mm-hmm. This is where a uh, temptation uh, uh, begins to work its way into the experience. Um, and and we fall back then on the well-known, on the things I said a moment ago that we're comfortable with. And this is where our memory of that experience in the world starts to play on us a retreat is a microcosm of the human experience yes. as it journeys to god that's exactly what Ooh, it is very nice we enter the desert In an attempt to come closer to God, and right away, not right away, but eventually, we have to accept this fact, it's inevitable. Eventually, we want to fall back onto the things that we know that we're comfortable with. This is where the memory of the human experience takes over, and John of the Cross says, it will only be purified by hope. Hope in what? Hope in something greater than all of those things that we left behind in Egypt. Which is God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Yes, and and as our weaknesses become more revealed, then we realize how much we do depend on God, how he is our strength, he is our light, he is our blessing. And um, so it's a good turning to him within and and therefore as we grow in our dependence and our appreciation of God then we can radiate him and and the love will be nurtured
1: and what happens unfortunately again i want to relate this to the israelite experience in the desert because those 40 years are such a uh, a good example of the human experience and i encourage you to read the old testament and understand the Israelite experience in the desert, in the context of man's journey to God, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've left the world enthusiastically, in some cases. We've left the world. Uh, we begin uh, shortly thereafter to start to yearn for it, but we know that we're seeking God. So, what do we do, Francis? Inevitably, we start creating God in our image, right? Mm-hmm. We create that That's molten it. calf yes. because we said this is sort of what God looks like. We think and we want to worship Him this way, and we. We define the ways by which we will engage God. And, of course, God stands there and just sort of shakes his head.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we have a, a, a narrow perspective. We limit God, and, and he then turns things upside down. <laughs> yeah,
1: and what does he do? He goes right to where... Uh, You had taken us earlier with regard to the internal journey. God goes to the heart of the matter, right? He doesn't change the external circumstances. He doesn't say, well, let me give you all those things that you're yearning for again, or let me make you comfortable out here in the desert. There are aspects about a retreat, about a desert experience that are simply uncomfortable. They're intended to be uh, Um. so that we can turn to the internal journey where eventually God will begin to plant His word in our heart, right? Right. And even on our lips. And if we look for that internally in the context of retreat... We'll begin to find it.
0: Well, that reminds me of the scripture passage from Matthew 4.4. 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God.
1: Exactly right. We're going to be fed, but we're not going to be fed. Remember, the Israelites were fed the manna from heaven and they rejected it. Right. right. They wanted worldly meat. They wanted the things that they were um, uh, comfortable with and and God says no 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 you know I want to feed you with a a, a richer experience well this
0: is like prayer you know exactly we want right. we want consolations in prayer and then when they're taken away and we have dryness and aridity in prayer then we're complaining about it and yet God is wanting to raise you to a higher level
1: yeah and we'll struggle with gaining an appreciation for this spiritual food right yes. christ says i have i have food of which you not you know you know nothing and to his own disciples and of course he's talking about understanding that internal experience of the Father. It's something we have to work through. I will say, if we don't go on retreat on some level in some context, if we can't withdraw, if we can't get into the interior desert, it makes it far more difficult for us to encounter the living God, uh, because we will always fall back on our comfort zones. You know, maybe we're attached to television or music or sports, uh, sports, admirable things in and of themselves, Francis. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about this so often, right? But a retreat says no. I'm going to stop. I'm going to enter the desert. I'm going to leave behind the worldly aspects of my life, and I'm going to try uh, to experience God. And I have to know that when I enter the desert, it's going to be hot and dry and barren. And I may not like the food for a while. And
0: you may come across the oasis though. There's that aspect too. I have to put the oasis in there. You
1: may have an oasis experience on your retreat if God blesses you in that way. Um, But he is going to try to Plant His Word within your heart. That's what the retreat is. And
0: we for. want that. We want that because that helps us grow in our love for God.
1: Well, l- let's talk just briefly, Francis, about then the correlation between which we know there is the Israelite experience of entering the desert, where many mistakes were made, right? Right. And then Christ, of course, in the New Testament, uh, really. Um, recapitulates all of that experience, experience of the Israelites. He relives it and perfects it. Beginning with his baptism uh, by John the Baptist, right? Isn't
0: this amazing how the same story keeps coming around over and over? And then Jesus has it and and shows the epitome of it. So here we have that whole um, Israelite experience then coming through Jesus, you know, and 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 his desert experience, you know, and then and and in our day we think we don't have that. Oh, yeah, we do. We have forty days of Lent. Yeah, <laughs> so.
1: yeah. I mean, there's a retreat for each of us, of course, right away, um, where where we are asked to do some of the things that we do in retreating from the world, right? This idea of attachment, uh, detachment and mortification and so forth.
0: And solitude and silence and prayer and and really trying to focus on God within so that we can grow.
1: Well, let's read from a scripture. I think it's the best source for understanding Jesus's uh, experience And I, again, I want to uh, share with our listeners what we're trying to do is show how Christ is the very model for a Carmelite retreat. Yes. He's given us what it is, one, that we will experience and to how we respond to it. So reading in Matthew, uh, chapter four, verses one through 11, Francis, you want to read just some of that for us, maybe up to uh, verse four.
0: OK, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God.
1: Well, Francis, you just read this quote a little while ago. And, you know, we need to understand this again in the context of a spiritual uh, interior journey. Uh, God is hungry. I'm sorry. Our Lord is hungry. We're all hungry. Right. At the end of the day, we are all hungry for the real food. What Christ tells us is the real food. We may not know it. And until we go in retreat, until we step back from the world where we've sort of fed ourselves on that. Uh, you know a diet that we had in Egypt, until we step back we won 't realize our hunger. Yeah. Christ has entered the desert to show us our real hunger hunger right? for
0: god, yeah yes
1: and what is, what does satan say oh don 't worry about it, you can turn this stuff into real bread. you could take these stones, you could turn them into bread, and Christ mm-hmm. says. I don't want the food from Egypt anymore. I've, I've entered into a different experience now. I may be hungry, but I'm looking for the real food, which is the Word of God.
0: Yes, and it goes from that physical to that spiritual, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. We are hungering for the Word of God. We won't know that hunger until we have dispensed with some of the things that are otherwise keeping us attached to the or, world. Or, or
0: distracted. From, exactly. from even looking and, right. and knowing. Well, so
1: these are, again, these are the elements of a retreat. But go on in this scripture verse, if you want.
0: Okay. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Yeah, Jesus...
2: So Go ahead. I'm Jesus
0: sorry. answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test.
1: Yeah, so we have here, I'm going to frame these three in just a moment, but we have here, it's not with, uh, uh, or by accident that uh, the, the, Satan took our Lord to the highest spot of the temple, right? Overlooking uh, the landscape, but the highest spot, meaning pridefully. This is where Satan places himself and says, look out at the vast uh, array. And if you throw yourself down from here, God will respond to your demand, right? Well, that's the pride uh, working in Satan. You know who you are and you know what God will do if you do this. And what does our Lord say? No, I am not prideful. I will not uh, demand that God respond to my needs on this retreat right?
0: yeah, don't tell God what to do. <laughs> That's not good.
1: <laughs> Remember what we said again in the Israelite experience, not creating God in our own image but trying to understand how we need to respond to God. Yes. We don't put God, we don't go on retreat and say, God, I came on a retreat. And remember, we talked about this. You were going to heal my brother and you were going to take care of these problems. That's not the way it works. God says, come out into the desert. We see this from Song of Songs, right? Come out into the desert, experience the real bread, and don't try to create me in your own image.
0: All right. It goes on. Um, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him.
1: Yeah. So what do we have here? This is the pride. Uh, I'm sorry, this is the lust of the eyes, right? We started with the lust of the flesh. What do I need in my flesh? I need bread. We went to the pride of life, which is if I can just, you know, reveal how powerful I am. Um, then God will respond to me. And lastly, here we have the the lust of the eyes. What do I see? I want all of what I see. Uh, and if we will just give ourselves over, of course, to the world, uh, then we may be able to achieve what it is that uh, we think we want, what we think will bring us joy. But there's a way through all of this. The Lord teaches us this, but also uh, our great Saint Elijah teaches us this. And, Francis, this... A story of Elijah is really a synopsis of the model leading uh, uh, through. Um uh, different phases to contemplative prayer. We're in the desert. We're experiencing the chaos of life and the and the noise, as you referred to it, of the world. Um, we're experiencing the storms. But then God is hidden somewhere in all this, isn't he? Would you read these passages from us from 1 Kings?
0: Okay, there he went into a cave and spent the night.
1: That's Elijah now.
0: Yes. The Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord said... But the Lord was not in the fire.
1: Now pause just a moment. This is our experience in prayer, isn't it? When we sit down in the quiet of our retreat to enter into the Lord, what happens? All the thoughts of the day all the noise from the radio and television that we've watched, all the you know, the interactions with various people. Again, it doesn't have to have been negative interactions, but all these things enter into our experience. The rocks are shattered around us. The wind is blowing. There's fire. All of this comes as a result of our effort to try and find silence. And you have to work your way through that, listener, if you want to experience what Francis is about to read to us, the presence of the living God.
0: And it goes on. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty.
1: And that's where the retreat began, isn't it, Francis? You said it earlier when we talked about pilgrimage. Intentionality. I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And, I seek him.
0: And stand before the face of God. You know, this is an opportunity to witness the truth of God, the truth of yourself, the truth of the world of evil and your relationship with. Um, in all of that. So, uh, yes, we want to stand before the Lord and and let his countenance come over us.
1: You know, just quickly, I want to read because it, it, it seems so timely today that the responsorial psalm uh, from today's mass uh, seemed to fit nicely with our discussion, our conversation this evening. And let me just repeat the refrain. Let us sing. to." I'm sorry. I, I grabbed the wrong one. Uh, my soul, I'm sorry, is thirsting for you. O Lord, my God, Psalm sixty-three. O God, you are my God, whom I seek. For you are my, for you my flesh pines and my soul thirsts like the earth parched, lifeless and without water. Here's our desert experience. Thus I've gazed toward you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. For your goodness is greater, good than life. My lips shall glorify your name. Thus I will bless you while I live. Lifting up my hands, I will call upon your name. As with the riches of a banquet, shall my soul be satisfied? And with exultant lips, my mouth shall praise you. My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord, my God. That is where the retreat begins. When your soul is thirsting, and you've asked the Holy Spirit to guide you, uh, you may experience withdrawal in the desert and temptation and trial. But it begins with and ends with the seeking of God.
0: So, could you kind of just give us a, a, a step by step? What are the what are the steps of this? retreat model that you're talking about
1: i think you want to begin as you uh, said francis with a pilgrimage in prayer Uh, look to have an element of withdrawal from the world there must be something you leave behind Try to find a desert experience. It doesn't have to be a physical desert, but it has to be a location and certainly a spiritual mindset. Again, as you mentioned, uh, that brings us to that. Know that you will experience temptation, if nothing other than wanting to get out of the retreat and return <laughs> Even home.
0: Even getting to the retreat sometimes is the temptation. <laughs> yeah.
1: But we will always find our recourse, our recourse in God, in prayer, and we'll have the Elijah experience of that. Francis, I know well, we're running out of time. We are
0: you- running out of time. But, you know, I have to just say this, and I'll, and I'll try to list a few of these things on our Facebook page, which is Carmelite Conversations on Facebook. But, you know, there are several places to go on retreat, Um the Holy Hill, of course, up there in Wisconsin, which Hubertus, Wisconsin, yeah, Hubertus. wonderful
1: destination. Yeah. And
0: I guess we're just going to have to have a program on that topic. I alone.
1: think we will, yeah. And
0: then the National Shrine of St. Therese in Darien, Illinois. Um, I know that the sisters in, uh, Los Angeles, uh, the sisters, the Discalced Carmelite Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in, uh, Los Angeles, um, do wonderful Carmelite retreats. And, um, there's so much more. Um, so, uh, I think, Hopefully, we'll get to, to yeah. talk about that some more. But we we really and covered maybe we'll a lot tonight. we'll get some
1: guests to call in from those
0: locations. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Let's work. All on right. It. Well, we have a closing prayer, and I chose it for tomorrow in honor of the feast day of Our Lady, Mother of Divine Grace, which is a Carmelite um, tradition. And in this prayer comes from the Carmelite Proper of the liturgy at the hours. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. God of eternal wisdom, in your providence you willed that the blessed Virgin Mary should bring forth the author of grace and take part with him in the mystery of man's redemption. May she obtain for us grace in abundance and bring us to the haven, the heaven of everlasting salvation. We ask this through Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless.